turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. It's Morgan Zeggers. Thanks for coming back to the show, you guys. I appreciate it. Big episode today. I feel like the fact that every time I talk about current events, I say big episode today, crazy stuff I'm going to tell you about. And that alone is indicative of the state of the country. The fact that I'm not even exaggerating. I wouldn't exaggerate or clickbait you guys. Come on. I'm better than that. Speaking of which, you know, I'm kind of offended that I have a bunch of listeners. I see how many people are listening. And let's just say the number of listeners does not equal the number of reviews. And so if you listen to this show, the three episodes every week, and you're not giving me a review yet, I pretty, pretty please ask you to leave me a review and do the little five-star thing. So five-star review and then a worded review where you tell me that this is the best podcast you ever did here. (laughs) <laughs> no, just kidding. Maybe request a topic or something or a question and, and that'll count as a worded review. I appreciate it, you guys, that you listen. And now I just have one little favor. Thank you very much. Okay, let's get right into the topics, you guys. This might give you a headache, but the IRS is about to double in size. The FBI just had a document leaked from within that shows they're using classic American history symbols to now, they now are labeling those things as signs of domestic terrorism. I kid you not. So RIP Zegger's Freedom Flags, I guess. I mean, I sell how many Betsy Ross flags every single week from my own workshop, but now I guess that means I'm a domestic terrorist. I don't know. Okay. Um, RIP ZFF. Now, last one, positive twist on a story. We have Ron DeSantis showing what it looks like to fight back against these crazy people. So we're ending on a positive note, but first we're going to start with a tough one, the taxation. Now the IRS is about to double in size because something just happened with the passing of a really big bill. So I want to talk about that, but first we got to do the little do, 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 do. Okay, so this is going to be news to no one, but we're going through a hard economic time right now. I know. Shocker, right? So we are all very aware of that. And now we have to say, okay, we're in bad circumstances. We have to get ourselves out of it. We have to move forward. What's the plan, though? The left and our lovely politicians, both on the right and the left, have come up with the Inflation Reduction Act. If you guys haven't caught on, One big lesson from Washington, D.C., and even state politics, is that you call bills fluffy terms that really aren't going to do that thing, okay? So Inflation Reduction Act is a massive spending package. Massive government spending often leads to inflation, okay? So so this is kind of a a tricky name, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But here's one thing that I want to point out. There's a few things that I want to just show you first, and then we'll talk about the IRS increase that comes with this this package being signed. But the first thing I want to show you is Biden's promise that no one earning less than $400,000 will pay a penny more in federal taxes. The Inflation Reduction Act makes sure that no one earning less than $400,000 a year 
will pay a penny more in federal taxes, notwithstanding all these ads you see on television. So there's this promise, but but you guys, what I want to call out now is a video from a little bit before this really became a big story and became officially uh, successful as legislation. And it's Peter Ducey asking the press secretary, Corrine, press secretary, so the, the representative of the White House, the Biden administration, to the press and to the American people, he's asking her if Biden is still going to support the proposed legislation because a report from the Joint Committee on Taxation, a, a committee that the Biden administration usually supports and cites as expert evidence and, and, and analysis, the Joint Committee on Taxation said taxes will increase for these people. Biden is still saying, no, that's not the case. So Peter Ducey asked Biden's press secretary, what the heck is going on here? And watch this exchange right now. Watch this manipulation. Thanks, Green. Is President Biden thinking about pulling his support for the Inflation Reduction Act? No. Because he promised it wasn't going to make... It wasn't going to raise taxes on anybody making less than $400,000 a year, but the Joint Committee on Taxation says that is not true. Well, that is incorrect. So the Joint Committee on Taxation, which you guys heralded as a, an effective body when you were selling that infrastructure package, is not to be trusted here. I said it is not correct because I will give you why it's not correct, because it is incomplete. Uh, the JCT uh, uh, report that we're currently seeing is incomplete because it omits uh, the actual benefits uh, that Americans would receive when it comes to pres prescription drugs, when it comes, comes to uh, the en lowering energy costs like utility bills. It does not include that. Okay, now what you guys probably noticed there is she said, well, 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 it's just it's incomplete because they haven't calculated in blah, blah, blah. That's something that we hear a lot from the left. And if you haven't noticed, what they'll usually say is, well, well, yeah, I mean, taxes may increase for the people and the amount that they're paying out of pocket to the government may increase. But the services and the benefits that they get back from us, the government that we give them is going to be worth so much more. The benefits and increases and improvements in their lives are going to outweigh the taxes. So we're going to add that to the equation. And that, I guess, technically means that they won't pay more. Do you see the, the mental gymnastics that they make us run through whenever they do increase taxes? Do not fall for this, okay? Don't fall for it. When has a government program really ever worked or really ever benefited our wallets? Never. Um, so I found that inter interaction pretty interesting because it's super uh, great as an example of general back and forths between conservatives and liberals and leftists when we're talking about taxation and government spending in, in general. Now, what I found also helpful about this, before we get into the IRS stuff, were three key takeaways from Heritage Foundation. I've talked to you guys about this before. The Heritage Foundation website is a really good resource if you just want an analysis on the bills. I am not a fancy legal lawyer bill lady, okay? Half the time, I don't understand what the words mean that they use, which I believe is a problem, the fact that average Americans and even politicians, did you guys know this? There is an office in the House of Representatives and on Capitol Hill that is responsible for actually writing the legislation. So they basically turn it into the fancy terms and the fancy words and sentences that we can't understand whenever we read these these bills that are proposed in Washington. It's because they have fancy people specifically designed to write them that way. 
I find that fascinating and kind of concerning because I think average people and average politicians should be able to use them. I find that a little concerning, but I digress. Now, because it's a little tricky to understand what they're talking about half the time and to actually read the real legislation, I do read the actual legislation because it is important, I think, to give it a once-over. But usually I then go to the Heritage Foundation that provides an analysis. So on the Heritage Foundation, they did this for the Inflation Reduction Act, and they had three key takeaways. The first one, they said, one, it's good that Senate Democrats want to reduce the deficit, but front-loading new deficits and raising taxes are counterproductive. Okay, that makes sense. Number two, there is little to no regard for the high prices incurred by Americans and the costs that will arise for trying to achieve the left's radical climate agenda. So yes, they're including woke politics in something that really should be more focused on just helping Americans get by day to day because right now every expense that we have um, on a day to day basis is massively increasing. But as we're trying to solve that, the left is still like, but, but, but climate change and the world's ending in 10 years. We must do something about it, even with something like an, an economics bill. Now, number three, instead of heeding the economic warning lights, they have offered this bill, which is identical in purpose and philosophy to what created the current economic mess. Fantastic last point. That's exactly what I would say with this and, and what a lot of people are seeing here is that the left spends a lot, they make all these big programs, they have all these new initiatives, and they play around with our economy, with the Fed, and then you see people like Janet Yellen who say, oh, well, I guess I just misanalyzed, and I guess inflation isn't really transitory when she told the entire country not to worry that inflation would be temporary. That never happened. Now she's saying, oh, yeah, I guess I got that one wrong. Yeah, Janet, I guess you did. Um, When you have them playing these games... And they make a problem like this where we're now in a recession, but they won't admit it because they changed the definition of recession. You then see them say, you know what would fix this? Let's dig in a little bit deeper. Let's really stick to our guns here. And the problem might be that, hey, we just didn't do it enough. Maybe we've got to push forward, but even harder, even even more intensely with our line of politics. Maybe they should realize that it's their policies, it's their leadership decisions that got us into these problems in the first place. But it looks like, and what Heritage is saying here, is that they are not realizing that their policies are what got us in the mess to begin with. Now, speaking of what I mentioned earlier, this concept of it being uh, deceptive with a title called Inflation Reduction Act, right? I found a piece by Fox. It's by Lisa Benetton, Isabel McDonald. Um, They said Inflation Reduction Act is deceptive marketing will hurt struggling Americans, economist says. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senator Joe Manchin's reconciliation bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, is deceptively named since it will actually exacerbate Americans' pain from inflation while simultaneously raising taxes, an economist told Fox News. Quote, the greatest example of deceptive marketing today is the name the Democrats have chosen for this piece of legislation. A research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, E.J. Antony, told Fox News, it does absolutely nothing to address the problem of inflation. The Inflation Reduction Act, which Manchin and Schumer announced Wednesday, is a slimmed-down version of Biden's Build Back Better Act with a or $433 billion price tag. So the bill is $433 billion. Most of it, which will be spent on climate provisions. Yep, yep, yep. 
The Committee on Taxation estimates that it will raise $737 billion through a variety of measures, including a minimum tax rate on large corporations and enhanced IRS enforcement. Hint, hint. Quote, it does nothing to address the problem of inflation and instead only exacerbates the existing high prices and will drive prices even higher, Antony told Fox News. It's just adding insult to injury. Supporters of the bill have said provisions in this legislation like deficit reduction and slowing the growth of prescription drug prices will ease inflation. Gee, thanks. Why do they have to combine all issues together in these huge bills? I don't know, uh, but I digress. Here we go. Quote, studies have consistently shown that interest rate increases and deficit reduction, whether done through higher taxes, lower government spending, or a combination of the two, as in the Inflation Reduction Act, reduce inflation, said the former chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, Jason Furman. But Antony said raising taxes to fight surging prices shows a misunderstanding of inflation. He said, quote, inflation is fundamentally too much money relative to the amount of goods and services in the economy. So if you're just going to raise taxes, all you've done at that point is transfer money from one person to another, the taxpayer, to the government. But you haven't actually changed the amount of goods and services relative to the amount of money in the economy, he said. So it does nothing to fight inflation. Antony also said higher taxes will impact consumers. He then said, quote, there will be taxes on energy that will be passed through to the consumer at all different levels, not only in the purchase of energy itself, but because energy affects everything we do and everything we buy. He said those prices will trickle down into everything else, just as we've seen higher prices for diesel and gasoline over the last 18 months trickle down everywhere else into consumer purchases. So not only are gas is expensive, right, but that's why our grocery bills are also very expensive, because think of the farmers and the transporters, all the 18-wheelers bringing everything around everywhere, they have to use energy to transport everything, and then that increases the actual item when we are checking out with it at the store. Now, with that being said, let's get into this concept of the IRS doubling. Yes, I kid you not, that is actually what is going to happen in an era where we have so many places that need solutions. Like, I don't know, the southern border wall. We are seeing an increase in what? the IRS. So I found a fantastic breakdown. Have you guys heard of Americans for Tax Reform? If you have not, then you need to go check it out because it's probably your cup of tea if you like this podcast. Americans for Tax Reform, they had a commentary piece come out, but this is from 2021. So this same plan is basically coming out now with the new passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. The commentary is called Treasury Confirms Biden Plans to Hire 87,000 New IRS Agents, Enough to Fill Nats Park Twice. President Joe Biden wants to hire 86,852 new IRS agents, which would more than double the agency's workforce. Then they put this into perspective, which I find hilarious. With 86,852 IRS agents, you could fill Nationals Park twice. This number of IRS agents is more than the population of Biden's hometown in Delaware. This number of IRS agents could fill 1.74 Roman Coliseums. This number of IRS agents could fill the stadiums of Real Salt Lake, Houston Dynamo FC, Los Angeles FC, and FC Dallas. This number of IRS agents would be more than the entire personnel on all 11 U.S. aircraft carriers. 
That is a huge number of bureaucrats specifically employed to harm the U.S. taxpayer. Okay? If you ask me, they do nothing but make the process worse. So let's get into the details here. Even Obama-era IRS chief John Koskinen, a longtime advocate of increasing the IRS budget, thinks President Joe Biden's proposal to increase IRS funding by $80 billion is too much. So yes, you guys, I forgot to mention that. The cost is $80 billion. That's a lot of money. As reported by the New York Times, he said, quote, I'm not sure you'd be able to efficiently use that much money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is, John. Rather than fixing the agency's longstanding mismanagement, ineptitude, and abuse problems, Biden appro- Biden's approach will make the problem much worse. Numerous watchdog reports have found that the agency's inability to do its job is due to incompetence, not lack of funding. Now, you guys... This is going to be a treat. It might give you a massive headache, a migraine, but I need to share this information with you because it would be a shame to not share it. This is how government functions, and this is one of the main reasons why I believe in small government. Here are some facts. A Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration report on the 2021 filing season found that almost 40% of printers were not working at tax processing centers in Ogden, Utah, and Kansas City, Missouri. However, in many cases, the only thing wrong with the printers is that no employee had replaced the ink or emptied the waste cartridge container. Quote, IRS employees stated that the only reason they could not use many of these devices is because they are out of ink or because the waste cartridge container is full. You guys, it gets worse. This year, despite having funding for new hires, the IRS only achieved 37% of their hiring goal in 2021. They had trouble onboarding new hires as well as it was, quote, difficult. I kid you not. Quote, difficult. (laughs) I can't get through it. Quote, difficult to find working copiers, as noted previously, to be able to prepare training packages. This is how government workers operate. They had trouble onboarding new hires because they couldn't get the copiers to work and couldn't print onboarding documents. That's an official reason for them that they gave for why they couldn't hire people and meet the expectations that were set for them. Again, that's how government bureaucrats work. I, can you tell that I'm not thrilled? Let's, let's move on. The National Taxpayer Advocate's 2018 annual report to Congress noted that the IRS was ranked last out of 15 federal agencies in its ability to provide quality communication. The report notes that taxpayers trying to reach the IRS are often left, quote, floundering on the rocks of confusion, frustration, and misinformation. The National Taxpayer Advocate's 2020 report to Congress noted that the IRS had failed to hire over 5,000 full-time employees for which it had allocated funding. So they had the funding to hire 5,000 people, and they didn't do it. This was because of the agency's disorganization, incompetence, and the existence of labor union rules that promote needless bureaucracy. So they got the funding. They just physically can't make it happen. 
In 2016, the IRS has lost track of laptops containing... <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I got to step out of this laughing fit. In 2016, the IRS has lost track of laptops containing sensitive taxpayer data. The estimates are that the IRS had failed to properly document the return of 84.2%, a.k.a. more than 1,000 computers, due to be returned by contract employees. So the contract employees hired by the IRS just stole the laptops that were given to them with sensitive taxpayer data. Over 1,000 of them have not been returned. 84%. They couldn't get back more than what? Nearly 15% was all they were able to get back after they tried to get them back. It, fascinating numbers. All right, another one. Another report in 2017 showed that the IRS rehired more than 200 employees who were previously employed by the agency but were fired for previous conduct or performance issues. So they are struggling to hire people so much because the job sucks so much that they hired back the people they fired for being bad employees. But we're going to find two, we're going to, we're going to find 87,000 new people that are going to want to do the job. Is that what you're telling me? It says each year the IRS hangs up on millions of callers, a practice they refer to as quote, I kid you not, courtesy disconnects. Currently, if you call the IRS, you have a 1 in 50 chance of reaching a human being. So you guys, you might be like, well, Morgan, this is great. They're going to hire 87,000 new people, and then maybe they'll be able to provide better customer service. Ah, ah, ah. You'll see shortly that this funding, these new people are for enforcement. They are not there to be providing services to the taxpayers. It gets better, okay? So... According to the National Taxpayer Advocates 2014 Annual Report in Congress, the IRS was unable to justify spending decisions. As the report stated, quote, the IRS lacks a principled basis for making the difficult resource allocation decisions necessitated by today's tight budget environment. The agency has repeatedly failed to compile legally required tax complexity reports. These reports are supposed to contain the IRS's specific recommendations on how to make the tax code easier to comply with. Since 1998, the IRS has done so only two times. Only two times have they provided information in the last handful of decades on how to actually more easily handle filing your taxes. How strange. Two more, you guys. In 2015, the IRS was spending $1,000 an hour hiring a litigation-only white shoe law firm for an investigation, despite having over 40,000 employees dedicated to enforcement efforts. What? $1,000 an hour because they had to hire out law firms to handle investigation and enforcement when they already had 40,000 people that are supposed to be doing enforcement? And then, in 2015 again, the agency has been caught red-handed wasting taxpayer dollars on Nerf footballs, the world's largest crossword puzzle, extravagant $100 lunches, and more. The last thing the IRS needs is more power and responsibility. In fact, it is likely the new responsibilities will become overwhelming for the IRS, leading to these new scandals and new cases of taxpayer abuse. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. 
So the article ends and it says, while the IRS continues to blame its poor performance on a lack of taxpayer funding, the real problem is the inability of the agency to competently complete basic tasks and spend taxpayer dollars in a responsible way. But you know what, you guys? Want to know what would fix this? $80 billion and 87,000 new employees for, uh uh-uh, not service, not efficiency. No, no, no. Instead, enforcement that will enforce and investigate the middle class average American taxpayers. That is who is going to be impacted by these new enforcement agencies. Now, they say that it's going to be to go after the big high dollar companies and corporations and really rich people. But trust me, they've already got people handling that. They want to expand their scope. That's why you see the proposals by Biden and by these radical leftists that want the banks to allow the government to monitor things like, I don't know, any transaction over $600. Do you think that's to monitor the big guys? Oh, no, no. What's concerning here is that this feels like they are trying to attack average Americans the most. And so we're going to have to pay attention because this did pass. This is happening. 87,000 new IRS agents focused on enforcement, according to the bill, and it will cost $80 billion over the next decade. It's a dang shame. It's a dang shame. All right, you guys, let's move on. We have a a really bad situation with the FBI right now. Um, my friend Jack Posobiec tweeted out the pictures that just came from Project Veritas this week. Project Veritas is working with an insider from the FBI, and one of the things that they just revealed is a leaked document from the FBI about domestic terrorism and what the FBI is now considering to be signs of domestic terrorism. So keep in mind, I I run a flag company from my home with my dad. We started it when I was in college, and then I paid my student loans off with it. And now my dad really just loves doing the custom ones. So we're even doing these, like, he's got this new project right now where he's making all these historic American flags, so all the different versions over the years. But one of the biggest things that people order from us is a Betsy Ross flag. And I personally love the story of Betsy Ross because there's all the cool pictures of her sewing the flag and the union. And I used to, when I first started the company before I got my CNC machine. Now I have a fancier CNC machine, but before I got my first CNC, I used to hand carve the stars in the flag with a little Dremel tool and a stencil. And so I would stencil it with a pencil (laughs) and that kind of rhymed. I would take a pencil, stencil it out, and then I would hand carve with a Dremel all 50 stars and it took me hours to do. So let's just say I'm thrilled to have a CNC machine now years later that does it in like eight minutes. But one of the biggest things that people order is the Betsy Ross. And what I love to do is consider myself, I hate to say this, I know I should be more humble, but I'm like, hee hee, I'm a little Betsy Ross when I hand carve my stars. Because there's pictures of me carving it in the way that Betsy Ross sat and sewed on the stars on her flag. So I just think that's cool. I love history and I love seeing the connection. And let's just say there's nothing about Betsy Ross that screams domestic terrorism, just like anything else on this sheet, really. But let's look at this. I'm going to let you guys know. 
The militia violent extremism sheet that got leaked by the FBI is a domestic terrorist symbols guide. It says the following symbols are used by anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists, specifically militia violent extremists, MVEs. MVE symbols are often found on propaganda, online platforms, memes, (laughs) merchandise, group logos, flags, tattoos, uniforms, etc., Widespread use of the symbols and quotes from American history, especially the Revolutionary War, exist within MVE networks. Oh, the horror! Historic and contemporary military themes are common for MVE symbols. The use or sharing of these symbols alone should not independently be considered evidence of MVE presence or affiliation or serve as an indicator of illegal activity as many individuals use these symbols for their original historic meaning or other nonviolent purposes. I'm sorry, but who is the judge of why someone is using a symbol like the Betsy Ross flag? Who is the judge of that if you shared too many Historic quotes, does that identify you as a domestic terrorist? I mean, you hear what the left says. They say if you're a conservative, basically you're a domestic terrorist. If you support Donald Trump, you're a domestic terrorist. I've been called a domestic terrorist. If I make Betsy Ross flags at my workshop with my father, am I a domestic terrorist now? Let's look at what these symbols are. A punisher skull, the kind that a lot of police officers in America use. The the letters and number 2A, 2A. 2A. It says MVEs justify their existence with the Second Amendment due to the mention of, quote, well-regulated militia, as well as the right to bear arms. Oh, my gosh, the horror. Okay. Anarcho-capitalism, warrior culture. So it's that that Spartan uh, Valhalla-themed skull that you kind of see sometimes. Not the skull, but like the... um, what is, I don't even know what it's called, the helmet. Um, that's apparently bad. Now you have, get this, the come and take it symbol. The come and take it symbol. I've also made those flags. Now it says, commonly referenced historical imagery or quotes. Get ready for this one, the Gadsden flag. The FBI on the domestic terrorist sheet says historical American symbol representing gun rights and limited government with a picture of the Gadsden flag. Revolutionary War imagery. And this has a picture of um, a militiaman-looking type man from the Revolutionary War. It says, an example of a militiaman during the Revolutionary War. Next it says the Liberty Tree. The Liberty Tree was a famous elm tree in Boston, near Boston Common. In 1765, colonists in Boston staged the first act of defiance against the British government at the Liberty Tree. I am furious even reading this right now. Our government should be ashamed of itself. The people that made this sheet, did they feel bad as they listed our key American moments in history and said people that share these things might be domestic terrorists? Did they put two and two together of the irony with this? The tragedy in this? And then last, the last symbol, the Betsy Ross flag. It says revolutionary war imagery hearkening back to the 13 colonies and calls for revolution. You guys, I can't even. It's just disgusting. Let's take it a step further. It says common phrases and references that might be used by these domestic terrorists. Number one, when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty and other variations. I've seen a lot of friends of mine post that. And I've posted that. 
We are everywhere is apparently now bad. Expect us is now bad. I will not comply might mean that you're a domestic terrorist now. Get that? All you homeschool moms, all you moms that don't want your kids to have vaccines forced into their bodies. If you say I will not comply, you might be a domestic terrorist, according to the FBI at least. And all enemies foreign and domestic. So the oath that people take when they become public servants in this country includes the term all enemies foreign and domestic. But now if you post that on social media, the FBI might say, hmm, that might be a domestic terrorist we have on our hands. That might be the justification we need to spy on them. Let's look at more. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Do you want me to say it? That's exactly true. The next one, I became unreasonable. The next one, his name was Duncan Lemp. The next one, well-regulated American militia. So if you quote the Second Amendment, or if you mention a well-regulated American militia, the way our founders intended, you might be a domestic terrorist. It also lists people that we might consider as martyrs as domestic terrorists. So Vicki Weaver, the woman that was shot by federal agents as she was holding her child at Ruby Ridge. If you don't know that story, look it up. The story is disgusting, though. And there's a picture of her. I've shared it on social media before, to be honest. And it's her in this white nightgown, long dress, standing on her property. And I believe it was from the day before she died, or right before. Now, it also says symbols of militia networks some MVEs may self-identify with. And in it, it doesn't reference crazy, radical, violent groups. No, no, no. If you're a part of a community group of strong men and women that band together in times where Black Lives Matter has been allowed to loot and riot and rip people from their cars, Antifa's been allowed to burn down cities in the name of justice as our politicians fundraise for their bail reform, like Vice President Kamala Harris, who sent money and encouraged people to send money to organizations that bailed these people that rioted and looted and burned cities out of jail. They incentivized crime. They are pro-criminal. If you defend yourself, like the man in New York City, for example, a shopkeeper in New York City is attacked by a black man. He stabs the black man in self-defense. The black man dies. The shopkeeper, I believe a Muslim man, so another minority, we're playing the minority games, right? He gets sent to Rikers Island for self-defense as the other guy was attacking him and he self-defense, defends himself. He gets sent to Rikers Island. So our leadership is encouraging you to be scared to practice self-defense. And then they release criminals in some revolving door of no bail policy. And then if you join a community group that, hey, if, if, a, if a town, if an area floods, and all of the men and women that want to serve their community get together and are there as first responders, as volunteer community members there to help each other out, the FBI will put your logo of your group on a sheet and classify you as, quote, mainstream militia, nationwide, mostly online activity, low history of violence. It's American contingency. It's a group for community leadership because our leaders let us down after the 2020 Black Lives Matter riots where people were killed, people were hurt, cities were burned and looted. 
Community members wanted to get together. They formed community groups. They are in no way malicious. They are in no way violent. But the FBI wants to classify them as so. And it's disgusting. Now, in the wake of this, the perfect timing on it is that there was a hearing on Capitol Hill, which which the timing of it, Ted Cruz was able to do a massive printout of this document that I just read to you. And he was able to question FBI officials on what the heck was on that. And here is that exchange right now. Yesterday, it was reported that Project Veritas had obtained a copy of an FBI training material which listed various symbols and themes which, in the FBI's estimation, were indicative of, quote, militia violent extremism. Now, these symbols weren't things like the Ku Klux Klan or the Nazi Party, which naturally would be symbols of that. But instead, they included, rather astonishingly, patriotic symbols of our nation and our history. Included on this list is the Betsy Ross flag, Now, that's fairly remarkable that the Betsy Ross flag in the FBI's indication is indicative of violent uh, militia, violent extremism, because among other people who have been publicly alongside the Betsy Ross flag, we have President Barack Obama, who was sworn in directly underneath two Betsy Ross flags. But it's not just President Obama. We also have President Biden who was sworn in under Betsy Ross flags. It's not just the Betsy Ross flag. Also on this list is the Gadsden flag as a symbol of violent extremism. Now, the state of Virginia has a license plate for the Gadsden flag, as do many other states. I think people would be astonished to find that having that license plate, the FBI indicates that you're a violent extremist. Also included on this is a text that I was particularly struck is the Gonzales battle flag. Come and take it. As indicative of being a violent extremist militia. Well, I will self-report right now that every day in the Senate I wear my boots that have the Gonzales battle flag on the back of them. Director Ray, what are y'all doing? This makes no sense. Do you you agree with this FBI guidance that the Betsy Ross flag and the Gadsden flag and the Gonzalez battle flag are signs of militia violent extremism? Well, Senator, I'm not familiar with the particular document you have behind you, uh, and I'm not in the practice of trying to comment on documents that I haven't uh, recognized, but I will tell you that when we put out intelligence products, including ones that reference symbols, which we do across a wide variety of contexts, we usually uh, make great pains, take great pains to put uh, caveats and warnings in the document that make clear that a symbol alone is not considered evidence of violent extremism. uh, And it's well, but Director Ray, you don't include things like Antifa, you don't include things like Black Lives Matter. Instead, you identify patriotic Americans as suspect. And I would note there's a pattern of this. So it is really nice to hear officials be held accountable. But how can you here's the thing. How can you hold them accountable if they're able to lie as easily as that? You heard what he said. You heard what he said. He said, oh, I'm not familiar with that document. I'm not able to comment on it. 
I'm not able to comment on it because I'm just not familiar with this document. Well, you should be. It's one of the largest national stories right now. So I have a feeling that you're lying. The other point of this is, is exactly why I interview survivors from communist countries. One of the biggest things I like to connect lately is the Chinese Cultural Revolution, where Chinese leaders in the communist revolution, the communist leaders, they said, if you say anything positive about the history of our country before we came to power, if you talk about old China, you're done. You are eliminated. You're either sent to re-education camp or you're killed. And children were encouraged to rat out their parents. They divided the nuclear family. They encouraged people to spy on each other and rat each other out. If you talked about old China before it was communist, you're done. If you talked about how you didn't like the leadership now, you're done. If you tried to teach things that didn't correlate with what the the left wanted to be taught to kids, you're done because they wanted to propagandize everything. They rewrote history. It was a cultural revolution where they got rid of the four olds. So old ideas, old customs, old habits, all of these things that made a society what it was, the communists knew that they had to come in and remove them. So in America, when we see our our history classes changing for our kids, we see the 1619 Project telling them that America was founded on slavery and that 1776 is not a thing to celebrate. When you see them ripping down the statues of our founders, Thomas Jefferson, even Abe Lincoln, not even a founder, not even a slave owner, the guy pushed the Emancipation Proclamation and he's taken down because he wasn't woke enough, according to the radical left of today. They see you're changing school names that had our American founding fathers in them, removing them from school names in the country, removing their statues, removing the lessons about them from the classrooms and changing curriculum. I think we're going through a cultural revolution in America today as well. It may not be as aggressive as China's because that was a completely violent takeover, right? But we're seeing something eerily similar. And now we see the institutions of our government also promoting this cultural revolution. Shame on anybody that dares to be proud of America's founding. You might be a domestic terrorist. And if you call us out for our tyrannical behavior, then you probably are a domestic terrorist, right? Apparently that's their their code. Now, you guys, let's move on to the last topic because I could go on a rant about this one for a long time. I feel like I always say that. I'm always like, I need to stop before I talk about this for another hour. I try to keep these short for you guys so that you can maybe get it in your morning commute or something. Um, be all ready to talk to your coworkers about how exciting politics is. Um, let's see. Last story. If you haven't seen What is a Woman with Matt Walsh, you need to see it. Daily Wire, Matt Walsh. It was fantastic. I, I couldn't recommend it enough. I have everybody that I know watch it. I've watched it like five times already because whenever I'm with someone that hasn't watched it, I say, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll just pull it up. <laughs> Let's sit down for two hours and we'll watch it. And it changes the game for them immediately. So here's just a little clip. And just to preface this, this is a conversation Matt is having with someone that's a biological woman that felt problems mentally for quite some time and then eventually decided that they wanted to be a man so in the later years of their life i think they're around 40 or so this woman decides that she's not just a lesbian she's not just uh some of the other lgbtq words she is a man and she begins going through a surgical transition to become a male in the episode 
she holds up her forearm and it is all scarred from her wrist to her elbow. And it was because that's part of the surgery process that this botched surgery experiment the left has created where they think that they can create a, a male part and put it down where a woman has her woman parts. I don't know how to say this. This is awkward. So they basically create male parts from an existing woman's body, including parts from her arm, and then they sew it on or whatever the heck they're doing down there. Guess what? There's massive complications. And this woman, now looking more like a man because of all the transformation she's gone through, she talks about the reality of what's really happening here. Let's watch. For the first time in history, a marginalized group has a huge dollar sign on the top of their head. We have five children's hospitals in the United States promoting that. That's a phalloplasty. That's a bottom surgery. We have five children's hospitals in the United States telling girls that they can be boys at $70,000 a pop in a surgery that has a 67% complication rate. That will kill me from infection that I can't sue on. We're butchering a generation of children because nobody's willing to talk about anything. I have three kids at the age that they're doing this to kids. I'm not transphobic. I love my kids, and I love other people's kids, and you should too. This is wrong on so many levels. Now, with that being said, how horrific was that, right? With that being said, we have people finally standing up, but not enough. We don't have enough men leading our country. I don't think this is just a woman's issue or whatever. We need men, strong, capable alpha men, to lead on the discussion of the trans issue because it's attacking our children. They are most at risk. And so now, thank God for Ron DeSantis. He is deciding to prohibit child sex change surgery in Florida. I believe allowing a child to remove their breasts, allowing a child to physically alter their body, when their mind is not even close to being done forming, especially rational decision-making. That, that part of the brain's nowhere near done. They should not be allowed to make that decision. And doing that to a child is child abuse. Period. Here's a video of Ron DeSantis and his announcement. Not only that it's prohibited, but that these doctors really should be going to jail for the abuse that they're putting onto children. Talk about these very young kids getting gender-affirming care. What they don't tell you what that is, is they're actually giving very young girls mis double mastectomies. They want to castrate these young boys. That's wrong. And so we've stood up and said, both from the health and children well-being perspective, you know, you don't disfigure 10, 12, 13-year-old kids uh, based on gender dysphoria. 80% of it resolves anyways by the time they get older. So why would you be doing this? I think these doctors need to get sued for what's happening. I'm sorry. Now, with that being said, you do have pushback, in, even in the state of Florida. State Attorney Andrew Warren is apparently pushing back on Ron DeSantis, and he said he's not going 
to enforce the prohibition of sex change surgeries on children. To which Ron DeSantis said, get this, you guys. Ron DeSantis says, oh, no, 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 no. He suspends this state attorney. Listen to this. You don't elect people in one part of the state to have veto power over what the entire state decides on these important issues. The Constitution of Florida has vested the veto power in the governor, not in individual state attorneys. And so when you flagrantly violate your oath of office, when you make yourself above the law, uh, you have violated your duty, uh, you have neglected your duty, and you are displaying a lack of competence uh, to be able to perform those duties. And so today we are suspending State Attorney Andrew Warren, effective immediately. We are not going to allow this uh, pathogen that's been around the country of ignoring the law, we are not going to let that get a foothold here in the state of Florida. We are going to make sure that our laws are enforced uh, and that no individual prosecutor puts himself above the law. So if you guys haven't listened yet, go a couple episodes back into the Morgan Zegger show to the episodes that I did with Allison Rogers, Allie Rogers. She is a part of the Recall Gascon campaign to recall the district attorney of Los Angeles that was put into office by George Soros, the radical leftist. If you look at that, those episodes, you'll learn a lot about what is going on with that campaign to take over these legal positions by Soros. And it provides more context to this because now we have Christina Pasha, who is one of the um, communications people, I believe, for Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. She said, progressive prosecutors backed by Soros have refused to enforce laws across the country. They treat criminals with deference and victims with contempt. This dereliction of duty is why crime is surging. But Governor Ron DeSantis won't stand for this. He just suspended the one in Florida. Wow. Um, I think that was a really strong way for us to end the fact that you can push back against these crazy people. There are ways for us to use the federalist system, our constitutional republic, the balances and the checks of power that our founders gave us to fight back, especially states fighting back against the corrupt, tyrannical federal government. I'm excited to see what happens next. I know that was a lot in this episode. I hope you guys have a really great weekend. Thanks for listening. And please, again, give me a review and share this onto social media if you're listening. I would really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.